0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles.
1: Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Rebecca Naomi Jones. And we continue the June Takeover from the Bleeding Love podcast, an original radio play on the Broadway Podcast Network that has been getting a lot of attention lately because it's a story about quarantine recorded entirely in quarantine. So it's very meta, and ironically, it was written years and years and years ago, and it just happens to fit the modern times as we speak right now. So this episode with Rebecca is is. Another incredibly fun one. She is a very young lady who has already more TV and film credits and theater credits than people twice her age. She is just incredibly humble and talented and a pleasure to work with professionally and a pleasure to know personally. So I'll just leave it at that because the conversation will speak for itself. As always, before we get going, please find me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Visit me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support via theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Please turn to that person next to you and say, Hey, I got this great podcast and you should listen to it because everybody needs to hear good podcasts these days. So now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Rebecca Naomi Jones. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Here you go. One, two, three. My guest today was born in New York City and performed with the Metropolitan Opera in her youth. She made her Broadway debut in 2008 when Passing Strange transferred from its off-Broadway run and she also stars in the film version. She created the role of What's-Her-Name in the Green Day rock opera American Idiot and received a Lucille Lortel nomination for Outstanding Featured Actress for Manhattan Theatre Club's Murder Ballad. In the spring of 2014, she was awarded the Lily Award, which honors... Women in the Theater. And in 2015, she replaced Lena Hall as Yitzik in Hedwig and the Angry Inch*. She followed that with Significant Other and returned to Broadway as Lori Williams in Daniel Fish's production of Oklahoma, a role which she originally played at St. Anne's Warehouse and was nominated for a Drama Desk Award. Ooh, this spring, she stars as the badass babe Lolly in the musical podcast *Bleeding Love*. Rebecca Naomi Jones, welcome to the Theater Podcast.
0: Why? Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: I hope that bio did you justice. I'm sweating just <laughs> thinking about what I just said.
0: Honestly, it made me nervous too.
1: <laughs> well, you've done you've done quite so much, and and you're still so young, and like. Yeah. I, I wanted to get to this kind of later, but I think it sort of makes sense to 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 bring up now that the Lily Award, which honors women in theater, you got it at such a young age. Did you sort of realize at the time how big of a deal that was, and or now do you realize how big of a deal it still is?
0: Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like that, you know, I'm not so good at at receiving those kinds of really nice recognitions. Um I I think I always sort of find a way to make it feel like, oh, the fact that I got it means it's not that big a deal. Mm. Um, I I don't know. I I get sort of awkward about them. It's funny because, of course, like, they're so wonderful. And when I don't get recognized for certain things, I feel the same way everybody else feels, which is a little bit like, oh, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? But then when I do get versions of them, I always feel a little strange. I, um, I had my caricature go up in Sardi's, um, this year during (laughs) Oklahoma. And it just made me so anxious, you know? Really? Yeah. Like it's such a wonderful thing, but I just, I felt so anxious about, about like gathering friends and family and making a thing of it. Like I just felt so, um, I don't know, you know, that, that voice that we get in our heads that just tells us like, you're not deserving of this thing. It's really weird that you're here, you know, all that. All
1: that. It's, it's so it's so odd to me, and it, I mean, this is not uncommon. I've I, totally people, people in this industry. That's what everybody wants. Like we want the validation, we want we want the approval, and then when we get it, we're like, but I don't deserve it. Like it's that's this right. constant this constant sort of internal struggle of I need to be great, and then now I'm given this award and having these things happen to me because I'm great, but I don't feel great. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's weird how we how we play these tricks on ourselves.
1: So well, how do you how do you kind of deal with that? Is it is it one of those things where, like, I was actually talking about this the other day in a in a, another interview, and I realized that me personally, the vo- those demons—I call them my demons—in my head mm-hmm. are only quiet when I am on stage, when I am in character, when I am performing, mm. and that's why part of why I miss it so much. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it depends for me. I, I feel like sometimes. I get them on stage really, really badly. And I, you know, have to sort of navigate my way through them and mm-hmm. make friends with them. And yeah, I definitely have had um, anxiety creep up on me really badly starting in 2015 when I was actually doing Hedwig and, um, and like performance anxiety as well. And it's, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, definitely during Oklahoma, I had to get myself into a regular meditation practice and, oh do some like visualization so I could prepare myself for the, the fear, you know?
1: Well, well, this version of Oklahoma was, was so different. It's much darker, you know, it's modernized and much sort of overall darker version of the performance. And I mean, was, was that part of, you think, what got you to where it was or was it something leading up coming out of, of Hedwig?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it, I mean, I think it's both. I think, with Hedwig, I was just going through a weird time personally, I think. I was going through some, some stuff and um, I felt a little lost. And uh, And then, I don't know, I think it was like something physical that actually triggered it the first time. I I, I remember the first day I got an a actual real big old panic attack um, when I was doing Hedwig. And what had happened that day was that I went out for a run and it was really hot out. And I... I had forgotten, like, I can be really, really sensitive to heat, and I remember, like, coming home and feeling so flushed, and, um, and that triggered this panic attack, I'm pretty sure, and then it was like, once my body knew that feeling, it would come back first for, like, up the next month, I would get really bad, many hours-long panic attacks um, that would last sort of, like, throughout the afternoon, and then throughout performance at night and then oh like, wow yeah so but then it, it all sort of like went away within within a month. Um and then I've had like little sort of hints of it since then but never anything as bad. Um but yeah during Oklahoma I was just getting like performance anxiety. And um I do think I mean I don't think it's because the show itself was dark, but I do think in a in an ironic way, I think it's because the lights were on. Um, in that, in the house. And so we, yes. we, you know, that was such a big part of that production is that we, we could see the audience and, um, we were always aware of the audience and we were always aware that we were all in this big room together. And so it's much harder to, um, sort of tune all of that additional stuff out. Um, which is actually such a wonderful exercise in focus, um, and concentration. But I, I think that was a, a an additional anxiety along with all of the other actor anxieties
1: that we get. Yeah, I didn't even think about that I, <laughs> yeah. because it's I've said before too that that it's it's easier to perform to a big house of thousands than it is to a room, a black box of 20.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah, because you're you're you can see everyone in yeah. the room in the room of twenty, and so so for something like Oklahoma, yeah, where you're where you're literally able to see a room. I don't I don't remember how big the house is in in the in that. Like, I
0: mean, it's usually like seven something, but we took the right. seats out, so it was like six six something.
1: Yeah, that's still a lot of people that you can it's make direct eye it. contact with.
0: That's right. It's a lot. Wow. Of people. Yeah. Wow. It was. Uh, it was a trip.
1: <laughs> well let me let's go back let's go back to then um little Rebecca uh, and you grew up you' were born in New York, yeah. and like growing up, your mom is Jewish and your father is African American, so like yes. tell me about your home life
0: um well it was it was wonderful I mean yeah, I think growing up in New York and being mixed um is a different thing from growing up other places and being mixed um so you know it it, it worked out. For me, for sure, I think I wasn't made aware of how unique that was and how complicated for people that can be until much later. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful childhood. I mean, I grew up in Tribeca before this fancy pants. It was very like it felt very much like a small town of like old hippies and artists and their kids and um and you know that whole area downtown like. Soho even too, at the time, it was, it was always, Soho was already like getting pretty bougie, but, um, but just like that downtown living was, was really low key. And, um, and yeah, my dad was a musician. He, my dad passed away in 2008, but he, um, he was a musician. So there was always um, tons of music in our home. And um, he was also a, music director of an oldies group, the (laughs) Mm so, um, and he also did a lot of coaching for other do up groups and stuff. And so there was constantly, um, vocal groups in our apartment, um, that my dad was coaching on harmonies and stuff. So, um, the apartment was always filled with music in this really wonderful way. And, um, yeah, my mom, my mom is Jewish and, um, they, they had a, you know, like like anybody, it's never one thing, but they, they had a happy marriage and um, and stayed together until my dad passed and uh, yeah, it was a good it was a good upbringing. I mean my mom's a photographer, so it was an arty family, and my parents really supported my love for her singing and theater um, and on all those things as well. I mean my parents were so supportive that like they encouraged all of my interest at the time. So I grew up doing like piano one day a week, opera at the Metropolitan Opera, two days a week, um, modern dance one day a week. Uh, you know, I went to the art students league and took, you know, painting classes one day. So it was like, that was the kind of life that I had growing up was, it was getting to work on all of those things. And, um, yeah.
1: Did your, did your dad get to see your Broadway debut?
0: He did actually. That was, um, that was he, the, the, the last show he saw me in was Passing Strange. Um, so yeah, that, that is very meaningful to me for sure. Um, we, we, um, yeah, we had opened, I think we had almost finished the run of the show. My dad passed, um, my dad passed August 24th of 2008. So actually, I think we closed right before
1: he passed good um, yeah. good good i'm sure that yeah. that made him very proud
0: yeah it did he was he was a very proud papa <laughs>
1: <laughs> well then okay so the, that was the whole performing and and then you got into you know singing and and we're we're performing with the metropolitan opera and mm-hmm. you know when you were young, like where did that connection come from
0: um you know it came from i think it was another a girl that i was friends with from my modern dance class. I'm pretty sure it was that. My mom could confirm this for me. But I'm pretty sure I went to um, this really fun modern dance class with, like, it was a handful of other people. And um, somebody else in the class was in the children's chorus at the Met and was like, oh, Rebecca is a singer. She really loves singing. She should go and audition. And my parents looked into it for me. And, you know... It was a, a it was a really sweet audition process. You had to go into the Met and um, sing for Elena Doria, the uh, the children's choir director of many years. You had to go sing. Um, it was either Happy Birthday or Twinkle Twinkle. I can't remember. Obviously, they have the same um, melody. Um, oh no, they don't. Wait,
1: no, I was like, I was going in my head. I was like,
0: Wait, there is one that has the same melody. Twinkle
1: twinkle, to you. No, that's not right. No, there is
0: one that has the same melody as one of those that I always. Well,
1: who knows? Who knows Whatever. what's happening Whatever. with my brain anymore.
0: Anyway, um, it was one of those two songs um that you had to sing, which obviously is very simple and straightforward. And if you could, you know, sing in key, if you could stay on pitch, um, pretty much you were in. And um, so I spent the next several years in the children's chorus and it was so great because it was like I think two or three days a week. I know that they had um classes like three days a week but i don't think you had to go to all of them you could go to one two or three mm-hmm. and um it was like a really intense session you were you met in the basement of the met and it was like a bunch of kids and these really tiny like sort of intense opera chairs and elena doria at the piano and she ran a really tight ship we learned all of this you know really intense music and she she was giving us a real education, a professional education. And then as the um, schedule would come in for the season and the operas were scheduled, um, you know, depending on what operas had kids in them, we would start to work on the music for the various operas and what the actual um, children's choruses would sing in those various operas. And then um, certain kids would just be selected to be in those actual operas. So um, that was a great thing is like, you know, we constantly were in classes and then, uh, depending on where she put us, we also performed professionally at night in the operas, um, which was such a great thing to have for me at a young age to have this responsibility to have to be somewhere at a certain time. And, you know, we got paid very little, but we got paid and, and had the experience of performing on that, you know, incredible stage with those incredible artists and, Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, how,
1: do you remember how how young you were at the time or how old you were?
0: I believe I started at the opera when I was seven and wow. left when I was like 11 or 12. And I only left because um, Elena Doria was like, you know, I love you so much, but you're starting to look like a woman. Like I was starting to, you know, develop or whatever. And at a certain point, like the children's chorus, you have to like really look like a child. Hmm. <laughs> So, um, so at that point she was like, I would love to keep working with you, but doing private lessons. And so I did that with her for a while and, and learned our arias and continued to develop my operatic voice, which actually I, I kind of continued doing until college at, at some point we were doing, I, I went to a, like a straight acting conservatory, classical acting conservatory, but mm. we did have like, Maybe two singing classes the whole time, the whole four years that I was there. And wow. in one of those singing classes, I sort of, I remember like sort of discovering one day that I really felt more honest and like in my voice and like myself when I was singing in more of like my chest voice or, you know, the same range as where I speak from. And so I kind of stopped singing operatically around then.
1: That's, that's intense. I, it's, it's really interesting to me. And I think probably very fortunate to you that you made the decision to, to go to a strictly acting school when, because you already had so much singing training. Yeah. And, and I, know, I know a lot of people who are like, I'm really good at singing. I'm going to continue getting singing lessons. And then they get to the great white way and they can't find jobs because they're only yeah. a, a, one, a one threat or a single threat. Yeah. Right?
0: No, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, I so that good good choice. It obviously <laughs> obviously worked out for you. So, um, the podcast musical Yo. leading leading love. Mm-hmm. You are the badass babe, Lolly. It's it, what an interesting time. Okay, so um, we recorded this. I was part of the recording process, the producing team, and we so we recorded this entirely in quarantine. And so we shipped you a mic and. Oh god. Talk us through when you open up this box, you're like, "Oh, here's a mic. What's happening next?" Like what was going through your mind because this is not normal VO. This is not normal acting. This is not normal anything right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I kind of I honestly just felt sort of excited because I knew that I I knew that all of this was sort of new frontier and that I wasn't expected to Um, have a master a mastery of like any of what we were doing so um so that that always feels so freeing I think I think when I'm when I'm not the pro in a situation and I can sort of just like ask questions and have someone guide me through it you know like I feel like we spent a nice chunk of time before being able to record almost every session with like you talking me through what buttons to press and, you know, how to to actually get the thing set up. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's, that is how I felt. I was excited that I was being shipped the the gear to work with, which is always fun um, to explore with new toys. And um, yeah, I just felt sort of free because it felt like I didn't have the responsibility of having to know any of that. I just had to show up and do my best.
1: (laughs) It's. It was. It was a lot of fun for me and a big learning experience. And you were one of many that in in several projects that were like, all right, we need to build our sound studio because there's too much echo in the room you were in. So I yeah. remember you were doing your yelling lines under a blanket. Yeah. So you've got your computer and the microphone under a blanket and like your boyfriend sent us a picture he took of, <laughs> <laughs> of you like yelling under a blanket into a microphone. Yeah, and and
0: it, it still was problematic. It still didn't really work. We had to do it again. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it was trial and error. It's, it was so much fun. But but I mean, Bleeding Love, it, It's it's an original radio play Podcast musical. It's yeah. one of the first of its kind here. I mean the team the team has been around for a while. This this came together like four years ago. I think is when you you and Annie Golden and Mark Kudish and Sarah Styles Taylor Trent Tony Vincent all of you recorded the demo music um, mm-hmm. years ago. But then you know it's a story about um, a world where you can't go outside because it's too dangerous, which sound familiar right like this this is so apropos for right now in our current worldwide situation that you know harris have the brilliant harris duran the the uh lyricist director and and actually editor of the audio as well um he came to the broadway podcast network and he said you know this is something great we got to do this and we were immediately like oh hell yeah this is amazing Mm -hmm. and it turned out to be this thing that that I couldn't have even imagined. It's this amazing story with amazing music, and then all of the original demo cast signed back on to do to do the the dialogue for all of this. And yeah, we shipped everyone everything. We recorded everything in quarantine, and it turned out beautiful. Like, did yeah. you? What did, what did you imagine? Did you imagine it was going to be like this?
0: Honestly, no. I, I, I it turned out so well. I do. I have said on other interviews that I, I feel like the deliciousness of it is how theatrical it is. And it's just like the music comes alive in the setting. And I don't know, there's, there is actually something so suited to just having this be an audio play. Um, just, it really, it, it really works. It's, it's shocking. It's like, it's really lush and full. And, um, and I think because it's so theatrical, it really works, you know, as a, as an oral experience only.
1: It does. It's very theatrical. That was a very good, that was a very good way of putting it. Like there's lots of sound effects. There's lots of ambience. And I I, I forget what country it's coming from. I believe it's Belgium, but we've been getting fan art.
0: Wow!
1: Oh yes, I've seen some of it. Yeah, so just like just like I'll put in air quotes a regular show. There's yes. people getting fan art online and, and you know on Instagram and sending it into pe- sending it into us, and it's been it's been just absolutely beautiful, and it's speaking because the story is so similar now to real life. It's speaking to people, I think, in a way that maybe it might not have caught on in another you know even six months ago. Yeah, uh, but right. yeah, yeah, like when you listen to it. Back again, you know, you know, what I guess sort of what was going through your head and what were you feeling listening to it?
0: Um, I was well, again, I was really just honestly just impressed with the package. I loved that. Uh, I don't know whose decision what this was, if it was Harris's or if it was you guys or what, but I loved how the um, the narration parts were used specifically for the podcast. Like, you know, I think some of the script was. Shifted around such that there was some more narration and stuff that would have been stage direction was um, Mark Houdish um, recorded. Brilliant, brilliant voice. It's, it's, that guy. so brilliant. I mean, first of all, his voice is just so yeah. good. It's so yeah. funny. It's so captivating. It's sort of like mischievous and a little bit dark and a little bit scary. Um, but it, it really, it's. I think those stage directions really are those. Um, you know, those those voiceover narrations they really I think help so much to to set the scene and set the mood and so I think that really adds to the experience because when you're listening to it it's like okay I know where I am I know how I'm supposed to feel I know exactly what mood I'm supposed to get ready for here and yeah it's just I, I think it manages to be sort of cheeky and and um sort of I don't know, and and sort of surprise you in in different ways that you don't
1: expect. It is surprising, and you know, you get to you get to reunite with with Tony Vincent. Yeah, uh, you know, virtually because the two of you were in American Idiot together.
0: Yes, we were, we were. Uh, Yeah, and it's and that was such a special time too. So, so it's it's very very special. Whenever I get to um, to reunite with anybody from that time, Um, yeah, we were. You know, this this was actually a Ten years, ten years from when we did um, American Idiot on Broadway, and so we we did a little like reunion Zoom song thing. But, um, <laughs> but it was really nice to spend a little extra time with Tony Vincent with his voice, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, the, the recording process was fun because we did we did a lot of it, you know, with scene partners and would record with you playing off of each other, and we had video mm-hmm. components going so you could see each other face to face because it's so mm-hmm. much easier to play off of somebody when you can see how they're listening to you. Oh, much um, here, yes. And, but then we went back and, and did a couple, you know, we did some one-off lines. Like a lot of it was just, you know, in the wild, just give us three takes of this line and we're <laughs> going to use the best one and threw it all to, yeah. throw it all together again. Harris, the way he edited together, just the editing is brilliant. So I yeah. applaud I applaud you for the performance. I applaud it, the rest of the cast. The music is brilliant. Anyway, shameless plug, bpnfm slash bleeding love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Switching over to TV and film, of course, you had Passing Strange. That was yes. your was that your first t- TV uh, film uh, debut?
0: No, I don't think so. I feel like, well, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the the first thing I did was during Passing Strange. So yes, that's right. The first thing I did was I think when we were when we were still doing Passing Strange. I'm pretty sure is when I did my first ever TV thing, which was um, an
1: episode of Fringe. Mm.
0: Yeah, that show. I Fringe. I love
1: that. I love that show. I still do. I used to watch it.
0: Wow. Well, I think I was on the third season, and I was, I was, <laughs> I was a guest star, and I had a. Uh, oh my god. I had I. The beginning of the episode was me pushing my baby in a stroller through Grand Central Station. And then I got pushed into the subway tracks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about the baby? <laughs> it
0: was so crazy. The baby was okay. okay it was like okay. I, I was singing a lullaby in the opening. And then, and then like I was looking for the train, you know, when you like sort of lean into the track uh-huh, to see if the train's uh-huh, coming. And I guess uh-huh. when I was leaning, oop, my I, I met my death. Oh. Yeah. Um, I think that was my first ever TV thing. Uh, I also, at some point, at some point in that same era, I was on an episode of the the new, the, like the, the re-up version of, um, the electric company, which was very fun. Um, oh, with,
1: with Chris Sullivan, right? Shockwave.
0: Yes. I mean, yeah. he, he and I did not did we, I don't think we did anything together at the time, but, um, but yeah, it was that was really really fun experience. But yeah, then then the, the passing strange movie was, yeah, at the end of our passing strange time.
1: And then, and you were also in the big sick, which is mm-hmm. a small film that got tons and tons of attention.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: was that was that sort of well, what was that new experience for you? The experience of like getting a lot of attention, you know. I, because coming, yeah. out, coming out of Broadway, you've got the stage door and, and like right there on that block, you, 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 you're you like kind of mobbed. But then the great thing about Broadway in New York is you're around the corner and you just blend in with the rest of the crowd. So right. You can still be, you know, still go to Starbucks and get a coffee. But like when you start to get recognized from TV and film, your life changes.
0: Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, I definitely still have not like reached the point where any of that is bigger than the, than the stage stuff for me. But it is... It is really interesting the things that people recognize you for. Like I will, I have randomly gotten, I've had so many random people on the street say to me like, oh, hey, I loved you in High Maintenance. Like randomly High Maintenance, this this character that I played in High Maintenance, I've only been in two episodes of it, but like that's gotten a lot of attention. And um, th- this movie that I did last, last year for um, Netflix, um, this Gina Rodriguez movie, Someone Great, Mm-hmm. Um, which was it was it was only on Netflix, you know, but but for some reason that's like really popular with young people. So like uh, at the stage door for Oklahoma, for example, I had so many people talk about someone great. And yeah, it's it's a trip for sure. It's it's um it's exciting, actually, to to be like a theater nerd and to have, you know, have people all over the place. See, see your work um, on the sp- on the screen. It's it's. It's thrilling, especially because um, for somebody who's been doing theater for so long. Um, for me, working in TV and film in the last um, five or six years or so, doing more and more TV and film has become so exciting for me. Not only because it's it's exciting to, to just like get to get to do new things and do more things. It's exciting because it's a different kind of challenge. You know, what I mean, it is obviously like. The work is still the work. It's still about talking and listening and being honest, but, um, but you know, it is, it's such a different medium and it's so, it's so great to have that different challenge. I mean, in theater, you get to have all this rehearsal time and you spend all this time together and it's constantly sort of like a navigation together and TV and film is just so much alone time, um, you know, you know the prep work is mostly on your own, and then you have like this specific bit of time to try and get you know this ma- amount of takes and hopefully you hopefully you know, hopefully there's something that you will see later that that the director and editor have cut together that makes you feel out of your work. but you you know you have less sort of onus over it all. Um,
1: it, it was that, that's it reminds me of a conversation I had uh, the other day with um. Heather Headley, I was talking to Heather Headley and Norman mm-hmm. Buckley, um, who was in and directed, well, Heather was in it. Norman directed Sweet Magnolias, which is now on mm-hmm. Netflix mm-hmm. and great show, by the way, go out and see it if you haven't. Okay. And, and what Heather, you know, coming from the the Broadway scene, you know, she originated Nala in Lion King and um, yep. has done many other things, um, she was. She said the best advice someone gave her about moving to TV was that like on theater, on stage, you're, you're the Coke bottle that someone shakes up and then you just let it go for the audience. <laughs> and, then, and then on TV and film, you're the same Coke bottle that's shaken up and you got to hold it in. Yes, and you, yeah. Yeah, and you got you to use that energy but make it real, real, real small. Yeah. Uh, and and while well, at the same time, Norman kind of added to that saying, you know, as the director, when we say, that was great, we got it. You gotta trust we got it. Mm,
0: yeah, that's right.
1: You know, like you gotta that's move right. on. You got schedule, you got budget. So, mm-hmm,
0: so That's right. It's yeah, a good lesson in sort of trusting, but uh, trusting yourself and trusting other people and
1: yeah. 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 So TV film, much different. Do you have a do you have a favorite of like TV or film? Well, first of all, okay. First question then do you have a favorite film that you've worked on? And then my original question was gonna be do you prefer stage or or screen.
0: Hmm, a favorite film that I have worked on. Um well I actually really enjoyed I did this really weird God I've done some weird things. Like I there's this um there's this movie that I did but it was so fun. Um about um the about the, the real life terror which is like someone um spying on you through your like your devices. You know, hmm. the movie is called Ratter. It's about um, it's about someone like hacking into your computer camera and phone camera and spying yeah. on you. It's just a thriller and pretty terrifying. But the experience was really really fun. Um, but I'd say like one of the one of the experiences that I had that was, I mean, honestly, the big sick was also really great. Um, but I guess in terms of films, probably the most fun I had was this um this movie I did a couple of years ago called um. Most likely to murder um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the thing you don't want in high school
0: I know it was it's such a silly movie, but um it was a really, really fun thing to shoot. I played this very annoying um, Long Island pregnant woman uh, and it was just it was a blast. It was a lot of comedians on the set and um, and that was a, that was a good fun time, but actually, the most fun I've had um with on camera work in general is I was on I was a um, heavily recurring character on the second season of um, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll that Dennis Leary show. Oh yeah, um, that used to be on FX. And it, I mean it it's it is whew, talk about silliness. I mean such a silly silly show, but boy it was a fun time. Everybody was so nice. Top down. And it just was like, I got to play like a rock singing Williamsburg.
1: I mean, you know, it
0: was just like pure fun. It was, it was, it was, that was a really good time.
1: When, when the, oh, sorry. So before I go to the next question then, yeah. So um, do you prefer stage or screen?
0: Well, I mean, stage is obviously my home base. I have done so much theater off Broadway, on Broadway. um, And, And it's just, it's definitely where I feel most at home. I love rehearsal more than anything. I have said a lot of times that I feel like if I could just sort of rehearse forever and perform like really occasionally, I'd probably be happier and better off and kinder to myself. Um, But I, I really love rehearsal and I really love being with the same group of people for like a large chunk of time working on a thing and figuring it out and playing dress up and getting to know each other. And, um, that, that to me is what makes theater the best. Um, and of course now that we're in quarantine, I'm also missing the aspect of not really performing, but being in a room with strangers, different strangers every day and having an experience that we all share. Um, you know, that's, that's really, really special. Um, so I would say for the most part, I, prefer theater but but i have to admit like in the last few years i have just been more excited to get more into film and tv i think part of it is because i have done less of it you know i've done Mm -hmm. like a a solid couple of handfuls of of on-camera you know jobs but um it's still exciting and thrilling and um new to me you know i mean both both media, both both of them still provide me with a good challenge. but um, but, yeah, you know, film and TV is exciting to me right now, really exciting to me. And there's so much good content happening,
1: oh, yeah. yeah. And well, there's so much great content coming out now that obviously in TV and film, it takes like months or years to create. So, yes everything that was being worked on pre-quarantine is coming out now. So I wonder if there's going to be this kind of bubble of content that that we're going to see maybe six months to a year from now or more that was all created and or written, at least in quarantine, that has a lot of yeah. these motifs in it. You know, if, I, I, I think that, I actually got into this with, I think it was Mark Kudish. I Mm -hmm. talked to him. (laughs) We were like, things are going to start to be produced and written and and everything completely in quarantine. And you're going to have complete productions where you're just, your entire production is people like... With stuff on the back wall, and, yeah. and you're going to be dressed up. You're going to be, you know, give me. Okay, you are a dragon, so we're going to mail you a couple of things, <laughs> and and you're going to dress up and pretend there's fire on my wall, right? Yes, like, yes. I wonder how much of this is going to start coming out pretty soon. So I think, yes. I, yeah, I think we're going to start seeing more of it, you know, on a professional level. But
0: I think you're right. I think you're right. I think like these first, the first couple of weeks into the first couple of months of this quarantine, it's been a little bit like well, we're going to just do this thing for now to sort of keep our you know, our engines going and stuff. But I, I think you're absolutely right. It feels like the whole event of the quarantine is going to go on longer than we all might want to admit. Oh, yeah. And so I think we're going to have to um, find ways to get creative and make it work and turn these, these projects we're doing into real professional things somehow.
1: Well, we are. I mean, look at Bleeding Love, right?
0: Right. I that's mean, right. it's
1: it's already happened in 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 this form, and then audio audio only and radio plays are much easier. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, TV. Gosh, there was something the other day that that I saw that is a big press release because there was a studio that just opened in Midtown Manhattan that mm-hmm. that's like thirty four thousand square feet or something. So you can bring an entire crew in and do production while everybody's still maintaining six feet social distancing. Whoa! I was like this is insane. I mean, I see where it's going, but like. Wow! If if we're going to be able to start filming everything, where all the actors are it, with CGI are placed closer oh together because you have to film six feet apart or whatever. I mean, it's going to be kind of crazy.
0: It's going to be so crazy.
1: <laughs> you you said something. You said something a second ago that I wanted to go back to. That you said if you could only rehearse all the time and not perform, you would you wouldn't be. I forget what you said. You either said you wouldn't be so hard on yourself, or you would be easier on yourself. What did you mean by that?
0: uh well
1: that's what you said
0: yeah yeah yes I just think that I you know back to the anxiety stuff I just uh it's really easy for me in performance to um sort of get get through that initial um phase in previews and and you know performances of like sort of figuring out the Map for the character and sort of navigating through, uh, you know, point A to point B to point C and all of that, and figuring out, like, yeah, the map for myself of like how I get from this this part of this character to this other, you know, you know, just like the, for the in terms of the personal journey of a character, and um, you know, while of course maintaining like the fact that it's not all about me and, and what the, you know, how that character's journey fits into the thing as a whole and all of that. I feel like once I get through that initial phase of like hating myself that you're feeling like I'll never figure it out. Um, and then like eventually sort of obviously with the director's help and the other actors help and listening and all that, you know, finding my sort of, map for myself that I can always follow, even though I know that it's going to be different from night to night and how I will process things will be different. Like once I get through that like journey, which is always epic anyway, then I, you know, I, I feel like I need something else to sort of freak out about. So then I'll just start picking at myself, you know, and it doesn't always happen. And it's sometimes I can leave myself alone and all of that, but the more I'm in a long running show, I think the easier it is for me to eventually just sort of like start, you know, picking at myself <laughs> and just like self-loathing and, and, uh, all that nonsense. So, so I think that's why, you know, in rehearsal, it all feels possible and it all feels ahead of you. Whereas when I, once I'm in performance, it feels a little bit like a, like a little death because it's like, well, there's another one I failed at, and this is, this is only endings. You know, it's just oh, so much drama.
1: But it's normal. It is. It's It's normal. And I think everybody feels that way to an extent, not everybody, but a lot of, a lot of people, especially performers, which is why, mm. you know, we're attracted to this kind of business in the first place. Like we talked yes. about at the beginning, it's the validation, right? Yes. Like you get yes. that, you get that ovation. You don't get the ovation one night and he's like, what did I do differently? Or was yes. it, was it me? Probably me. I, did I cause the show to suck? Right. And, right. But while at the same time, you're on a Broadway stage <laughs> with, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: with, Mary Testa and amazing, amazing actors. Yeah, you know, like Ali Stroker goes out and wins the Tony for her for her. Like you're you're on stage with these performers that are your equals. And Mm -hmm. oh gosh, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's you know sometimes I encourage you personally just to step back and you know have perspective because
0: totally. Well, yeah, it's always a balance. I mean, I I definitely have. So many of those moments, I mean, it's only, you know, I was actually saying this the other day that like, it's weird how like in retrospect, I, I, I just am sort of now I'm beating myself up for having wasted so much time feeling anxious and all that Mm. stuff, you know, because, because of course, on the other side of that, there, there are all the highs and all the thrills and the highs are so high, um, and, and of course, like during, I also, of course, am balancing all that anxiety with all of the realization of how fortunate I am and how excited I am and um, how much of a joy it is to be on that stage and sharing with all these people and, you know, in conversation with people and um, presenting a version of a classic story in a way that relates to people in a way that they didn't know, they didn't know that they could relate to this story and what what that version of that story meant to them and, and how it brought questions up for them. And, you know, all of that is like the best part of being an actor and especially a theater actor is like, you get to actually come away with with dialogue with people about, about things that we need to really address. Um, and that's constant, you know, there's, there's so much trouble in this world and um, it's such a beautiful thing when we can connect and, try and navigate our way through it together. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I do try my best to keep perspective. <laughs> it's just sometimes my little, my little dark brain will try and taint the party.
1: I call it my my dark passenger, like Dexter.
0: Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, I'm dark killing dark
1: them. passenger, yep. Dark passenger <laughs> just, just has to get some FaceTime every now and then. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. You're a little saboteur. <laughs>
1: right. It'll be good. So uh, I have three standard closing questions that I ask okay. everybody to wrap up every episode, and the first one here is, "What motivates you?"
0: Ooh, um, I am motivated by doing my best at all times. Ooh, um, I, I like that. Yeah, I just always want to. I just, I always want to keep. I just want to strive to to better myself.
1: Good. Okay. Second question What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path?
0: Uh, Give yourself grace. Give yourself patience. um, Be a full human. It's okay if you're not only defined by your work and your success, um, or what you deem successful or what you think is successful. Um, Being a good person, listening to other people, being curious, those are all the best things you can do for yourself as a human and for yourself as a performer.
1: Wonderful. Oh, I like that a lot too. Okay. Last question. (laughs) Artist one. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: Oh, that is so tough. Wow. Um, wow. (laughs) Oh, Oh God. Um, Oh, that is so so tough. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to say, like, without me being in it, um, preferably passing strange.
1: Ooh, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. And so, where can we find you on social media?
0: Uh, I am on Instagram as one Rebecca Jones. That's O N E R E B E C C A J O N E S. Technically, I'm on Twitter, but I'm never on there. My name is Rebecca's her name. It's spelled like R E B E C C A S. E R N A M E. Surname. Well, because if you have the H in there, it's like Rebecca's surname. So there's no H. Right, right.
1: Um,
0: and then I'm also technically on Facebook, but I'm also never on there. I think I'm just on there as Rebecca Naomi Jones. I'm I'm really bad at Facebook. I like I come on Facebook really occasionally because my mother is like, Honey, a lot of people wrote on your wall about this thing. You should respond.
1: Yep. So yep. Yeah, yeah, I still use Facebook to talk to my parents too. So I hear, I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, bleeding love, we can find you. So you can visit uh, bpn.fm/slash bleeding love, or search for bleeding love everywhere you listen to podcasts, and you can find Rebecca as Lolly and a badass, and you are a badass in that show. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say it. It is amazing. Yep, you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support at theaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast please leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this now this is edited by matthew hendershot and thank you to jukebox the ghost for the intro and outro music and rebecca naomi jones thank you so much this has been so fun
0: yes it has thank you
1: take a deep breath make the world a little colorful